Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a really interesting year because I think for a lot of people, when we had COVID-19 kind of hit, a lot of people assumed, okay, well, it's the digital transformation. Here we are. The future of work is now the future of now. And for a lot of people, they just weren't ready. I think, I think ultimately, the ultimate conclusion that we can draw is we definitely were not ready, not as organizations and certainly not as HR. Um, we did not prepare for it. We were not ready for it, not in the term, and not even just in technology, but even when you think about the policies that we had. A lot of organizations did not have work from home policies. They didn't have remote working policies in place. So a lot of the first few months was really just pure firefighting. And I think, you know, there was that meme that was kind of going around about who created the digital transformation in your organization, right? Um, CEO, CHRO, it was really kind of COVID-19. And I think yeah. for a lot of us, we're saying, okay, well, it's here. Now, what are we going to do with it? At the crossroads of HR and technology, Dina is a former CHRO and now founder and CEO of Whitebox HR, an HR technology company committed to helping organizations make data-driven people decisions by leveraging on artificial intelligence, analytics, and people science. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Very excited about our conversation with Dina about all things technology at work and in human resources. Hi, Dina. How are you doing? I'm great, Enrique. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for being with me in the podcast today. It's, um, it's, uh, it's very exciting to have this conversation about the implications of technology, artificial intelligence, people analytics, and many other techs, technologies available out there and the impact at work and, and the work that we're doing in, in HR. So, so let me begin by asking you this question. The the, the pandemic this year has accelerated a number of things that many of us, you, me, and many others thought that they were going to happen in the next 10 years or so. And they happened in, you know, less than 10 months. And one of them include, of course, you know, working remotely and whatnot. But all of the things that we're doing now are relying heavily on technology. Do you think going forward the relationship between the work that we do in HR and, and technology will be different because of the fact that we already saw the, the, the potential of using technology in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a really interesting year because I think for a lot of people, when we had COVID-19 kind of hit, a lot of people assumed, okay, well, it's the digital transformation. Here we are. The future of work is now the future of now. And for a lot of people, they just weren't ready. I think, I think ultimately the ultimate conclusion that we can draw is we definitely were not ready, not as organizations and certainly not as HR. 
Um, we did not prepare for it. We were not ready for it, not in the term, and not even just in technology, but even when you think about the policies that we had, a lot of organizations did not have work from home policies. They didn't have remote working policies in place. So a lot of the first few months was really just pure firefighting. And I think, you know, there was that meme that was kind of going around about who created the digital transformation in your organization, right? Um, CEO, CHRO, it was really kind of COVID-19. And I think yeah. for a lot of us, we're saying, okay, well, it's here. Now, what are we going to do with it? Um, I do believe that we have to hold on to what has happened and try to make it better. Yeah. We cannot go back to the way things were. And I know particularly, you know, you know, your entire mission is to create the best HR we can possibly have. And I think we are at that tipping point where yeah. we can create the best HR. But the question is, how can technology help us get there? Yeah. A lot of the, you know, the different HR people that I speak to are looking at technology in terms of just automating what it is that we have today. Um, taking what we did in the office and just kind of automating it. And that's not using technology in the right way. That's just taking old processes and changing it. We want to automate it. It's not about automation. It's about complete transformation. Let's transform everything and let's really think about what we need to do to move our organizations to be more productive, more agile. And then, you know, ultimately it's about our employees. How are we yeah. improving the employee experience, right? Absolutely. You know, you're, you're saying something that, that I, I, talk a lot, I talk, talk about very often, which is you can't add a layer of technology on a process that is crappy. Because if the process is crappy, technology will make it crappier. Because technology amplifies the good things or the bad things. Technology, as, as of now, can't discern whether those processes are effective or not. It's just amplifying the process. And I am thinking about an example that I have seen of people who are leaders, quote unquote leaders, who are micromanagers. Now they send all their people to work from home and this is what they do today. They are telling their people, you send me an email in the morning when you log into work and you send me an email in the afternoon when you log out of work. And I'm like, that is BS to be honest because you are in a different environment, in a different format of work and you are utilizing the same mentality, the same approach to, to work that you were utilizing in your office, which we all know was not effective, but now you're putting, putting it into this remote work thing. So you're totally right about that, you know? It's so sad. It's really sad. I completely mm -hmm. agree with you. And we're seeing that all across the globe right now. Um, we're seeing organizations that, you know, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to trust. Do you trust your employees that they're working from home? Do you trust that they have the ability to be productive wherever they choose to be productive. And what we saw is depending on the organization and also depending on the manager, we saw you know, either a complete kind of dictatorship micromanagement kind of um, you know, policies being put into place where send me the email, let me check on you and all that. And I'm also seeing some really scary stuff kind of going back to your question on technology. Um, with a lot of organizations starting to look into screen time monitoring, what are your employees looking at uh, on, on their laptops? And to me, I just kind of think that that's really getting into a policing state that, mm -hmm. that you're not really going to get the best out of your people. If you want to get the best out of your people, you need to give them trust and autonomy and say, yeah. I trust you. I know you're going to deliver. And you choose where you want to work. If, if you think it's better in the office, come back to the office. If you want to work from home and that's better for you, then work from home. Everybody has a different way of working. Um, and, and I think it really comes down to giving our employees the benefit uh, and not penalizing the 95% that are doing it right because there's that 5% that are going to maybe take advantage. Deal with the 5% um, and, and, and go back to the fundamentals, which is 
you know, the employee experience and making the organization what, what it deserves to be. Yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting that, that you talk about these outliers at work because generally the easiest thing that HR has done is legislate or create policy for that 5%, but impose that on everybody else. So it's not something along the lines of, well, you know, one person is not delivering their, you know, what they have to deliver, the performance is not the performance we're expecting them to have. And instead of addressing that one problem, you create a policy that messes up with everybody else, right? That considers that everybody else is doing the same thing that this person was doing in the first place. So let me ask you uh, uh, something. We, we, we knew before, and, and now it's more evident than ever, that technology is and will continue to have an incredible impact in the workplace when it comes to replacing entire human jobs, transforming tasks within jobs, amplifying human capacities, and in many different areas. That, of course, creates an interesting challenge for HR, which is we may need to have a different or, or an additional portfolio of skills in order to truly be able to transform our processes and utilize technology for the benefit of the organization and our people. My question to you then is, what skills or capabilities do you think we need to learn in HR in order to be savvy when it comes to technology? Yeah, so a lot of people, you know, when you think about the kind of skills that's required, you automatically go into, okay, we need to learn data science and we need how you know we need to learn about python and r and statistics and and the reality is no we don't have to be experts in those areas we need a mix of people that understand that and we need to know how to interpret data and we need to really understand how to use data um, to tell a story and to understand what correlations we're seeing so so there is relevance there but at the end of the day if you think about the hr traits what makes you a good hr professional it's the same ones we've always had which is empathy which is problem solving compassion all those different elements that really comes down to making you a good HR professional. And, and the other thing that I would say is apart from the technology side of things, it's also understanding your business. I still come across a lot of HR professionals and I ask them about kind of what's going on in terms of the PL, what's happening with revenue growth, you know, where are they looking to diversify for next year as a company? And they can't answer any of those questions. And I think, okay, you're not plugged into your company yet. You don't understand the business that you are supporting. And that's a fundamental issue. We need to kind of step up in, in that area as well. So yes, there's the the kind of soft skill or, you know, as we call it power skills, core skills, which is that empathy, compassion, learning mindset, problem solving, all those different um, traits that a person has that are incredibly important. Then there's the technology aspect of things, which is really, Enrique, it's just being receptive and open to technology, saying, okay, what is machine learning? What does that do? What is natural language processing? And how can I use that to kind of understand sentiment analysis in my organization and kind of what's happening and leverage the technology that's out there today to benefit my organization and to benefit my employees. Um, but then the third part really is the business side and we can't negate or ignore the part about the business. If we don't understand the business we're supporting, we're not gonna be successful. Absolutely. You know what's funny is one, one time I was up and I share this story a lot of the time. So our, my listeners would be like, oh, the same story all over again. Uh, but I'm going to share it with you. Uh, the, I, I was just giving a speech in a, in a conference uh, about, of course, HR. And, and I asked the participants, which mostly were HR leaders, if they knew what their business was about, what the business goals were, the priorities and whatnot. And I don't think more than 5% of 
all the people raise their hands. And I was thinking, well, if you don't know what, where your business is going, how do you even know if what you're doing is helping the business get there or hindering the, the advancement and the progress of that, of, of your organization? You gotta, that's, that's, that's a basic skill. It shouldn't even be a skill. It's, we should take for granted that people in HR must know what their business is about. And unfortunately, that's not the reality, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where we're seeing this kind of movement that is happening. It's kind of that revolution that I know you're a part of and I'm a part of and a lot of us are pushing globally where we're saying, you know what, our vision of HR is different. It's not what it used to be. We really have a fundamental belief in the in the in you know, the, the opportunities that HR can bring to the table. And my background, I mean, I didn't start in HR. I started on the business side and then I transitioned to HR because the organization I worked for just had this really forward way of thinking, which was if you want to move up in the organization, if you're going to be a manager, if you're going to be kind of at the C level, you got, you have to do a rotation in HR and then come back out. And I didn't understand it at the time. I thought, okay, well, I'll go find out what they do. They just hire people, fire people, whatever it is. And then when I moved into HR, I was like, this is where the magic happens. This is the most important function. I had no idea. It all starts and ends with people. And the moment that clicked, I was like, this is where I'm going to be. And I spent well over 15 years of my, of, of my career in human resources. And I, and I agree with you. I think it's, it's a movement. It's a revolution that's happening. And I think there's a lot of us that are moving in that direction. Um, and somebody asked me in a conference a, a couple of months ago, they were like, you know, where do you see future CEOs and, and kind of coming from CFOs in terms of successors or is it COOs? I'm like, no, it's going to be CHROs. You're going to see a lot of CHROs that are going to move into CEO positions because now they've, they've managed to really capture those three elements of business technology and HR people side of practices. And it's that whole collective understanding that's going to make them really successful as a CEO. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's powerful, you know. And w one thing that I I think we we fail to see in HR is the power of our function. I just don't think, you know, it is it's it's hard, it's difficult to describe when when you know that you have the power to do something, but you don't either embrace that power or acknowledge that you are so powerful. And I think we very often miss that mark. In, in HR, we, we think of ourselves as just a little cog in the machinery of the organization. You know, the guys who are enforcing compliance and, and policies and hiring, firing people, paying people. But we don't see the, the incredible potential and the incredible opportunity that we have to do to help the organization be different, focus on people while also achieving the, the goals. And that's that's pretty much what you're saying too. You know, we have all this power to to become the leaders in the organization. I actually call it call it the HR as a trailblazer. So yeah. it's not even it's not even just the leaders in the organization. You're absolutely right. But if you take it take it a step back, you know, at first when I started my career, I thought, okay, yeah, people. It all starts and ends with people. If you hire the right people, if you develop the right people, if you retain the right people, if you promote the right people your organization is gonna be incredibly competitive. That's yeah. your competitive advantage. It all yeah. starts and ends with people. But then take it at a macro level and look at kind of go back to the, you know, United Nations 17 sustainable development goals and our plan for 2030. And look at those 17 goals. Everything ties back into people. You know, even if you kind of take the, um, um, the, the eighth or ninth one on the list, right? Decent work and, and economic growth. We have a huge impact in that. We have yeah. the ability to, 
um, impact policy at a, at a government level when we look at kind of what's happening in terms of visas and, and registrations and, and all of that and unemployment and technology and skills building, we have a huge impact to change what we're seeing in terms of fairness and equality within our own communities. And so when I think of HR, I don't just think of it as, yes, there's the compliance, there's the policies, there's all those things, um, but that's not really what it is. That's not yeah. what HR is at all. It's really about looking at your communities as a whole and saying, if we can match people to the right roles to make people happy, we can actually have happier communities. And if we have happier communities, we have happier parents, happier brothers and sisters, happier you know, daughters and sons. And I think all that kind of creates a ripple effect. And particularly now, I think you know, COVID-19 has really made us see what fairness and inequality looks like you know, in terms of our front-end workers and what's been happening. Um, and particularly even the gig economy, which we thought, okay, there's a lot of benefits that come with the gig economy, but then we saw people that became sick and didn't have any sick days and kind of lost their jobs. And so there's a lot of policies that we need to change at a government yeah. level. And I think HR needs to, to step up as well and be involved. Absolutely. So now we, we are talking about a kind of HR that is the potential HR. I think we, we can agree that, that that's the kind of HR that we could have. But to get there, we got to take a gigantic leap of progress from where we are today to that place. And there's a gap, you know, uh, what in, 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 in between HR today and that HR that we're talking about. What do we need to do to close that gap? What skills do we need? How do we need to think about HR? Uh, what do we need to do differently? How do we yeah. fill that gap with something that allows us to take that gigantic leap of progress to the next generation of HR? Well, the first thing I would say is as horrible as, as COVID-19 has been, um, it's an opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think right now is the time to take grasp of what has happened and not go backwards. And, and I'm kind of caught, it's, it's a call to arms because mm. I'm speaking to a lot of CHROs globally and some of them are saying, well, you know, we're coming back into the office now. So we're, yeah. we're asking our employees to come back. And I'm saying, well, why? And, and a lot of the answers I'm hearing is, well, I feel, you know, I miss the office. I'm like, but you miss the office. You're yeah. more productive in the office. How do your employees feel about it? Um, and so I think this is the moment to kind of relook at the last six months and say, what have we learned from it and what can we do going forward? Because ultimately um, we are competing for talent. We are competing to attract the best talent. And if you're going to go back to what it was, there's going to be a, an even bigger gap that you're going to have to fill in uh, going forward. Yeah. So the immediate gap would be relook at your policies and understand what's working in terms of remote working, giving people the choice. Does it make sense? Can you have people work um, in, in different variations? And by the way, technology can help you do that. You can look at analytics. Um, you can understand what's happening within your organization in terms of productivity and engagement levels and see month on month, week on week, what's been happening and validate it. Don't, don't listen to what the CHRO has to say or what your CEO has to say or the board members think. Look at the data and science around it and say, here's what the data is telling us and make decisions based on that. And the other thing that I would say is, you know, kind of going forward, the gap is big, but yeah. I think we have the ability to shrink that gap quite quickly. Um, and technology is helping as long as we understand what we're using technology for, because you made a really good point, which is let's not automate crap. <laughs> let's just automate. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
So let's not, let's not do that. Let's actually look at kind of what our policies are and does it still make sense? And, and, and what is the organization that we want to have? And what is the HR function? Are we, are we really just compliance or are we looking at it from an employee per experience perspective? Are we trying to look at work, you know, our workforce um, and say, are we strategically allocated? Do we have the right mix of diversity and not just diversity of, you know, gender, ethnicity and all that, but diversity of thought is incredibly important to have in teams. And some organizations are using assessments to understand now, what kind of diversity of traits do we have? Do we have the right kind of mix of people that have innovation and creativity and kind of problem solving skills? and um, and we can look at the science behind that to say what comprises of a great team and do we have the right teams and, um, and, and all those different aspects. So the immediate gap to close is the immediate one, which is we are now about to return back into the office for some organizations. Some organizations are saying, well, we're not going back to the office now, we're going back to the office next year. Um, but between now and then, we're gonna watch what you do on your screen. We're gonna you know, kind of police you. We want that email every morning. And you're just, it's a matter of time, you're going to lose great talent because, yeah. you know, people that perform well, you don't need to tell them, they will get the job done. And again, that's, it's that 95% um, that you're penalizing for the 5%, um, which, which you and I both disagree with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, th and there's something in there too, which you have mentioned a couple of times in the conversation, which is the idea that HR does not have to be an expert in everything. And I, I can't stress that enough because it is scary for somebody who got into HR because that person said, I love working with people, but I also hate math and I also hate tech stuff. And that's, that was a driver for me to get into HR. And now you're telling me that I have to learn all this statistics stuff. Now I have to learn all this data stuff. And now I have to learn all this technology stuff. And we're not saying that they have to become experts on this. They have to have a minimum, a baseline that allows, to, that allows them to have a conversation with somebody else but I think the relevant item, the relevant point here is that one, one thing you need to bring talent and skills that you don't have in your HR function, even if they are not HR talents. And two, you need to collaborate with others that complement what you know. And I'm saying this, Dina, because when you look at the, at the profiles of, the, of job posting for HR people, you read them and you think, oh my goodness, it's like time froze for HR for 25 years. This is the same profile that you would have encountered or that you would have seen 25 years ago. There's nothing new in here. And, and that to me is scary because they are not amplifying the talents that they are looking for, for their HR functions. So, so what, what comes to your mind when we say about, when we, when we talk about bringing talent that is not necessarily savvy in HR, but savvy in something that can complement HR and or collaborating with others in the organization that can complement us. Yeah, I mean, it's the mix of all those different elements because you still need your IO psychologists. You yeah. still need those people. You still need the, you know, kind of reward strategy people to understand job evaluations and understand all those different aspects of things. But you also need the tech people. You need the yeah. data scientists. You need the people that understand how to look at data and analytics and use that to not only personalize, you know, what's happening in your organization and for your employees, but use it to start predicting models, to look at how can you predict things better in, in, in your organization? We use data in every aspect of our lives. You know, we're, we're on Netflix, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon, we're on all these different things. But then when it comes to the world of work, where we spend a third of our lives at work, 
we're not using any of that technology. We're still saying, okay, well, it's performance appraisal time and I'm gonna ask the manager who he or she thinks is the highest ranking. Based on what? I mean, you know, the, so I think there is that element of that collective intelligence where we're combining the experts, you know, saying, in my expert HR opinion, here's what I think in terms of potential, here's what I see in terms of, you know, the right kind of performers and, and all of that. But then here's what the data is showing, which further validates my opinion or does not. And if it doesn't, then challenge yourself. Because yeah. I think we also have to be able to be humble enough to look at our own ways of thinking and say, we may not have been correct. And that's okay. We have technology now, we have data, we can kind of use some of those aspects. And I think um, we don't have to have that friction. Uh, we can be open <laughs> to, to kind of have that collective intelligence and, and use AI and use human intelligence and work together to kind of create a better experience again. Absolutely. You just said something that is so interesting to me, which is looking back at the things we've done and acknowledge, number one, that they may have worked for a different time or maybe they did not work at all and we messed up and we got to move on and, and do things differently. And what's funny, there's, there's one process that of course always comes to my mind, which is performance management. We know that the approach, the rating-based annual performance management, nobody likes it. It doesn't deliver value. It is, it is counterintuitive. It is, it is a BS kind of process in the organization. And we all acknowledge it, but we have not taken the step of saying we messed up. This process should, should have never been the way uh, the way it was, or maybe it worked for another era, and now we need to move on into something that is more data, evidence-based um, uh, approach. But I think that is so hard for everybody, for us. I think for every human, it's so difficult to acknowledge that you made a mistake and move on from there, especially more so for a function, you know, like, like HR. And, and by the way, you made a really great analogy earlier, because what we did with performance management is we took it from paper, to just automating it, that exact same process. And then we created, I mean, I don't even know how many vendors went into performance management and then they had, okay, now take that, now input every objective and do that and do it once a year, maybe quarterly, but once yeah. a year at the very least. Um, and, and, you know, I agree, it was a different time. And I think it's, you know, depending on the cycle of where your organization is, we went from kind of that tenure-based promotion, which was every two years or every 18 months or every 12 months, everybody got a pay raise, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of how you performed. And we said, okay, wait, we're not gonna do tenure-based promotions. We're gonna do a meritocracy. It's gonna be merit-based. So to do that, we have to put in this performance-based kind of methodology, which yeah. made sense at the time and maybe makes sense for organizations that are shifting from tenure to performance because some organizations still are doing that. So you have to change the mindset. So some of those fundamentals still kind of need to be there. But for the organizations that are beyond that, what's the benefit that you're getting getting out of it? It's yeah. kind of, you know, um, Jason Everbuck, I mean, he, he, he talks about this a lot and he says, you know, if you go to any of your kids and you give them feedback once a year, is that going to work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And actually, if you think about it, uh, the, the, the younger, especially the younger generations, you know, what they think about is not spending all their, their career in the same place. Therefore, that uh, vertical ladder promotion, it's not that, 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 that important to them anymore. What they want is every six months to have something that is very complex so that they can amplify their, their skills. 
So even work design, even career management design, that's going to change because the old approach of, you know, you move up the ladder every, every couple of years, you're promoted into something else until you become a people leader, which seems to be the end of the, of the ladder for, for a lot of organizations. That approach is not really talking to a lot of people who see their careers differently. They, they are eager to learn. They are eager to get their hands into complex projects. So for them, the growth is not always vertical. The growth is also uh, horizontal. So even in that sense, we got to rethink how we approach a career management in our organizations. So Gina, as we are getting to the end of our conversation, I, I will ask you the same two questions that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. The first one is, we've been talking about a different kind of HR. We talk a little bit about technology, performance, skills, and whatnot. But we are mostly talking about an HR that could potentially be an organizational leader that has an impact in the community, in the people, in the future of the organization. And that journey begins somewhere. It begins somewhere, especially for those organizations who are now and for those HR leaders who are now acknowledging the power they have. To you, if you were speaking with hundreds of business leaders or HR leaders that are beginning the journey, what should be a step number one? What should be the action number one that they can think of in order to begin that journey of transformation to become that awesome, amazing HR? Well, I think one of the challenges that a lot of us have is that even if we see it and we get it and we understand it, it's influencing our you know, peers, the other C-suite leaders, the CEO, the board members to also buy into it. And I think that's a big challenge that a lot of HR professionals are facing at the moment. And for a lot of them, they say, you know what, I, this is just not working out. Then they have to leave that organization, move to another one that aligns to their kind of values and, 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 and all of that. But, but that's such a shame because those organizations do need to change. They do need to shift, but HR alone can't do it. And so a lot of uh, a lot of what I say is, you know, when you look at the marketing department and what they've done by shifting from just kind of looking at basic analytics um, into really understanding the customer experience and where people shop and, and what people buy. And especially when you look at retail, I mean, it, technology has supported them in ways beyond what we could have ever imagined. And I think they came to those meetings with that kind of insight, with that kind of data to say, well, Here's something, I, you guys have five minutes, let me show you what I, what I found. Get them involved and you have to kind of push a little to do that, but I think you have to do something differently. Um, if you do the same thing, again, that's the definition of insanity, it's not working. So we gotta do something different. And I think that's where this you know, opportunity of technology right now to really use what we're seeing in our organization, say, hey, do you guys wanna see what happened from March 1st Till year to date in terms of engagement, in terms of productivity, in terms of mental health and well-being in our organizations, we're seeing some shifts happening. And when you start presenting that kind of value to the board members, to the executive committees, to the CEO, COO, et cetera, then immediately you're going to get that kind of shift in mindset to say, oh, okay, all right, maybe we'll give you a bigger budget. Maybe we'll let you hire a couple of more people. Um, and I think it starts there. It starts with value. You have to add value somehow. Absolutely. The, uh, my friend, Kristen Trecker, the, the CHRO at Vision Corporation, which is a technology software corporation, she, she tells her, uh, her people, you guys are a lot of things. And one of them is you are salespeople. You got to be able to sell your idea. You got to be able to convince people. You got to be able to influence people because otherwise 
we want to advance. You know, we, you know, we are, we're putting all these projects together. If they make sense for the organization, we got to sell them and we got to go to the CEO and CFO and be able to talk to them about it. So this idea of influencing the organization to become more valuable, but also get a little bit more of confidence from them, a little bit more budget, a couple of extra people. I think that's, that's fascinating. So my last question to you is, what are you the most excited and the most concerned about the future? So I'm really excited about where we're heading. I think, you know, the fact that we're having, you know, communities like Hacking HR and a lot of kind of the global meetings that we're having take place is different. I'm seeing a complete shift where it's not just, you know, kind of in conferences or in workshops or we're seeing CHROs across the world really come together to collaborate, talk through things and try to support each other to say, all right, let's use each other as benchmarks. Let's not just rely on consultants or other people to come in. Let's use each other to kind of gain momentum and try to shift things in our community and in our society, in our world. And that gives me a lot of optimism and hope to where we're heading. I also think the ability to use technology to create equality and fairness and scalability of, of what we're seeing in terms of talent and growth. Um, we're democratizing a lot of things that weren't accessible to a lot of people. And that gives me a lot of um, kind of optimism and, and, and good feelings inside. I think the parts that kind of scare me a little, Enrique, is more around people that don't understand um, how to use technology yet in our field and HR that may be adopting the wrong kind of technology or the wrong kind of processes and practices. You know, if you don't properly audit against AI, you will have a lot of bias involved in, in your, in your um, organizations, which, you know, instead of having one or two managers that might be discriminating against a certain gender or ethnicity, now you're discriminating at scale every time, all the time. Um, you know, like I said, you've got some organizations that have implemented, you know, the, the screens, you've got organizations that are looking at um, uh, GPAs or universities that you graduated from to shortlist. And I think, you know, again, that's going back to yeah. more discriminatory ways of hiring. And, and there's no correlation, by the way, between any of those things. So to me, that kind of scares me a little. So I always tell, you know, you know, my HR peers, educate yourselves, ask the yeah. questions, ask the vendors, say, what's the correlation? Like, show me, you know, the metrics that you have and, and other case studies that you can demonstrate and, and push them before you adopt something and bring it into your organization. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's quite scary, you know, utilizing technology to amplify the crappiness. And I'm hoping that, <laughs> that we, can, we can really become more savvy. And if we, if we don't have the skills, that's not bad. We have two alternatives there. Number one, we either learn and or we collaborate with those that know more about that. So uh, awesome, Dina. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. This was an amazing conversation. I, I truly enjoyed it, and I'm sure our our audience will will really enjoy it, enjoy it, and, and and take the most advantage out of it. So, thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking Nature podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.